today about embracing the fasted lifestyle. For those of you that were just here for Deborah's session, I want to continue with that theme. As I begin, I want you, each of you, to right now do something in your heart. I want you to imagine, you can close your eyes if you want, but imagine something. Right now I want you to imagine a very real day in your future. The day that you meet Jesus. I want you to put your heart in that place. Each one of us, we can only do this with our own heart. I want you to put yourself in that place on that day. There he is and there you are. There is Jesus. That day when it will no longer be faith but sight. And when you meet the one that you have loved face to face, he's a real man. He's fully God and he's fully man. And you are going to look into his eyes. I want you to picture that moment. This is something I do with my heart all the time. It keeps me in check. And I want you to ask him, oh God, on that day, how much will I know you because of all the history, because of all the exchanges, because of all the ways that I've said yes to you in your leadership and in your love? Oh Jesus, what kind of memory will there be in that gaze? This is what we want. When we, when you see Jesus, when your eyes meet his and it's just about you and it's just about your heart and his, you want to have a whole history of having known him, having experienced him, having walked with him, having said yes to him, having died with him. We want to have a history of intimacy. Embracing the fasted lifestyle is embracing the man Christ Jesus. I just imagine when Jesus was walking the earth and he gives this precious sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, and he's speaking to anyone who has ears to hear. And he says, listen, if you want to know me, if you want to embrace me, here is the lifestyle. The way is narrow and few find it, but listen, have ears to hear. This is how to live. I want to tell you something very real about yourself. It's true of every one of us. To quote one of my favorite authors, Thomas Dubay, we are all incarnate thirsts. We are living thirsts. And from the foundations of the world, I just imagine in the, count, the, the divine councils, the holy three, God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, determining how this whole thing would work as they set it up according to their perfect wisdom and perfect will. It was decided, it was ordained that every human heart would be a living thirst, that we would be an ache, 
that we would be a groping, that we would be pilgrims, wanderers, walking in a world that we were not made for. We were made for something greater. And in the eternal councils, it was decided, let them be thirsts in the flesh. And the Son said, and I will be the living water. I will be the only quenching available. I will be the only one that can ultimately satisfy them. And so innately in our beings, here we are. We're always fighting against this thing on the inside where we're not satisfied. Think about the best day of your life. Think about, you know, the, the, the day, the memory that's, you know, the highest, when everything was going right, when, when all the circumstances were aligned, when relationships were good, finances were good, and all of everything was lining up. If you were really honest, when your head hit the pillow at the end of that day, when all was well, you would say, is that it? Is that all there is? And that's what God wants you to do. That's what he made you to do. He set it up that way so that we would grope for him, so that we would reach for him. We are thirsts. I love Psalm 66. 63, the psalmist said, oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. In other words, this is the land of our pilgrimage and there is no water that quenches us. God himself is the quenching and that's how he set it up. I, I love a quote from one of the saints of history, St. Angela said, this is what the Lord said to her, make yourself a capacity and I will make myself a torrent. Make yourself a capacity and I will make myself a torrent. And this is what God says to us. We have a problem. The problem that we have, the very warring that we do as believers is that we are constantly filling that void and that ache and that thirst with secondary means, with things that will never ultimately satisfy. That the secondary things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they do leave us feeling even sometimes that disgust of going, oh, it doesn't satisfy. And the problem with filling ourselves with inferior pleasures is that it actually dulls the ache that is our glory. Your glory, my glory, as a human being, is that there is an, a God-given ache on the inside. I was made for God, that's my glory. You were made for God, that's your glory. And our problem is, especially in the culture that we live in, in the day and age in which we live, we are immersed in a thousand options, a thousand things that end up dulling that very glory, dulling and, and causing that ache to be stifled, to be even shut down to where we can't even feel it anymore. 
And we get to the place where we, we're not hungry for God. We don't even know what it feels like to be hungry for God because we're so inundated. We're so satiated with so many things. That's what the fasted lifestyle is about. Jesus said, you're up against something great. But my Father and I, from before there was time, have determined a lifestyle that is necessary. It will take you where you want to go. The fasted lifestyle is about being alive. It's about walking alive, walking as those that are touching eternity rather than so drenched in the temporal that we can't even see or feel eternity. And just like Deborah said, the fasted lifestyle, it's not something, when we think about it, even the term kind of takes us somewhere that, that we don't want to go. It takes us to that idea of, oh, it's for the super spiritual, the fasted lifestyle. Fasting is, is something you do if, you know, you really get into the rigors of, of being a good Christian. No, no. And especially no at the end of the age. The fasted lifestyle is our only way forward. It's not an option. It's simple. It's praying. It's fasting food. It's giving. And it's loving our enemies. The fasted lifestyle is, is Jesus breaks it down for us. This is the way forward. He says, this is how you answer the ache with God. We have capacities, you and I, that are like shriveled up raisins. That's the word picture. We're so filled with the wrong things that we have no room for God. And God says, I have an answer for you. Good. You can see that you're capacity is like a raisin. Good. Now listen, this is what you do. Put yourself before me. Deny some of those secondary pleasures, some of those inferior pleasures. Deny that. And do you know what happens when you do that? There is room made in your capacity. I like to see it as that when, when our hunger for God begins working inside of us, when some of those, um, those things that dull us get out of the way, our hunger for God gets to breathe and gets to expand. And as our hunger for God expands, so too does our capacity for God. And our little shriveled up raisin-like capacities start to broaden. And when we pray, oh God, fill me with yourself, Instead of saying, I would, but I can't, there's no room, God says, oh, there's room being made in you. Yes, I will fill you. The, the law of the kingdom is that God gives according to our hunger. He gives according to our desire. We can have as much as we want. As hungry as we are, we can be filled he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you're the ones that get filled. It's the hungry I fill. It's the thirsty I quench. He says, get hungry and I will fill you. So he's made us these living thirsts. In Matthew 6, 
He says, but you, when you fast, and I love that key word, when you fast. Again, there's that non-optional part. When you fast, because this is your way forward. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Embracing a life of prayer and fasting is embracing our glory. We're, we're ones that are quenched in God alone. And as we, as we fast the inferior pleasures, our capacities are expanded for the superior pleasures. And that's when we start to live. I've been feeling in my own life lately, looking into these truths, thinking, God, oh God, what if I could really touch what those in history have touched? What if I could really touch what the apostles spoke of in the word of God? What does it mean to have joy unspeakable and full of glory? Do you know that that phrase is not just an overstatement of like good language? Joy unspeakable and full of glory is a true reality that you and I could actually live in if we had room for God. I want to go there. I want to live in that reality. The fasted lifestyle. So you're saying, Dana, what, what, what do I do? How do I embrace the fasted lifestyle? I remember when uh, I had just moved to Kansas City. This was 10 years ago. I was 20 years old. I'm 30 now. And I'm sitting in the car with my sister Deborah. She'd been here about a year and a half already. And she'd been kind of swimming in some of these truths that I had yet to swim in. <laughs> and we're sitting together, and she starts to tell me about what she believed the Lord was calling her to do in the realm of fasting and praying. And she was telling me some of the specifics, you know, the, the long hours that she was going to give herself to. She was telling me about, you know, the, the certain amount of time in a week that she would be fasting. And I remember, I mean, just dumbfounded, looking at her going, I mean, can you live like that? I mean, you know, not, no connect point to, to living in that kind of, of dimension. The thing that caught me the most as we had this conversation, as she was, you know, telling me about her whole life being reordered into this fasting and praying in stronger dimensions. And I remember, you know, I, we grew up loving Jesus. We loved Jesus our whole lives. I, I came to the Lord when I was four years old. I remember it clearly. I loved Jesus. We grew up journaling to Jesus as soon as we could write. My parents were awesome. They taught us how, how to dialogue with the Lord in, through the word in prayer. It was awesome. But I'm looking at my sister, and she's telling me about praying and fasting, and I'm going, are you kidding me? And, and I remember the thing that struck me the most was her eyes. Something was different about her eyes. It was all about desire. She was saying, Dane, she was saying, there's so much more. There is a whole ocean we've been invited into. It's broad. Dane, he's in love with us. The God-man Jesus, he can't wait to unveil mysteries to us if we will only set our lives on course to pursue those mysteries. 
She was saying, there's an ocean we've been invited into. I'm giving everything. I'm setting my life. I'm not looking back. I'm going for it. It was about desire. It was about entering in to God's desire. She was saying, he has love unending, and I haven't yet even touched the slightest bit of it. I'm going there. I'm going to drink of it all my days. And something connected with me in that, in that season where, where it was a resolve to give myself, knowing this, this thing, fasting, praying, that was my way into that embrace. That was my escort. It was not about earning his favor, and that's one thing I want to say clearly. You know, because some of the shark-infested waters related to fasting and the fasted lifestyle is to get us to think we can earn something by doing it. Absolute lie. You earn nothing. What it's about, it's about a God with holy desire and little, dorky, weak me wanting to enter into that desire and, and wanting my heart to be tenderized to experience that desire and then to return desire to Him. That's what it's about. I don't earn anything. It doesn't move God at all when you fast. It moves you. We're far and we don't know it. We're dull and we don't know it. He's not changed by our fasting, by our praying. We are. We're tenderized. Our, our eyes are opened. Revelation comes as, as we kick out some of those props that are false and we seek to have our whole life founded on Jesus and on His Word. We begin to really live. We begin to really feel God as we were created to. Fasting's not easy. Nobody's saying it's easy. I know that sometimes it, you know, you're at the One Thing Conference and you're hearing the clarion call to go fast because it's God and you'll find God and that's how we say God. We say it just like that. God. You can go home and start saying God like that to your friends and they'll be really impressed. We don't know why. It just kind of, we all just kind of do it the same. But anyway, so fasting is not easy. Nobody's saying it's easy. But there are rewards on the other side. The hard parts about fasting, we're addicted to a thousand things we don't know we're addicted to. We have so many props. Our whole lives, you know, are this, this castle that are propped up on false foundations, and we don't even know it. And so when we start, you know, taking days in our schedule, real days on the calendar, and moving out some of those props, it gets scary really fast. We get crabby really fast. We get grumpy really fast. We want our food. We want our coffee. We want our comfortable environments. We are so, the average believer is so afraid to sit alone with God without all the extra stimulants. The average believer, I mean, it is, it's, it's terrifying. And yet, that's our way forward. So fasting's not easy because we're addicted. The other reason it's not easy is because there is an inherent delay. And I tell you that now, if, if fasting is new to you, let me tell you, 
in the very beginning, there is a delay that happens. Here you are, you've built your whole life around, you know, th they're not necessarily bad things, they're just secondary things, but your whole life is propped up on these secondary means. You set your heart, you set your heart in that resolve, I am going to live by Jesus and His Word, and I'm going to experience the superior pleasures of the kingdom. So you set your heart to live here in the superior pleasures of God. There's a problem. There's this place in between, I call it the dangling in between, where you've left these things because you're fasting them, whatever they are. Let me give some examples. Um, entertainment, food, um, seeking relationships in a wrong way to fill that void, whatever they may be, finances, the, the latest style and clothes and all of that, materialism, things. So you've decided to fast some of this. So they're not providing that extra prop, that extra stimulant. And yet, the superior pleasures like feeling God, like experiencing His love, like opening up the Word and having the spirit of revelation as you are searching out the Scriptures and meditating, light coming into your inner man. Those are the superior pleasures. Well, you're not feeling that yet. You're not there yet. You're not connecting. There is this, this gap in between. It's the dangling in between. That's the second hardest part about fasting. There's a delay. And in the delay, what will you do? You have to dangle. And as Paul Kane says, nobody dangles gracefully. It's a hard place to live. But that's what we have to do. And again, especially as Westerners, especially in the culture we live in. I mean, I've said to the Lord so often in the last years, I don't know how immersed I am in a spirit, a spirit of the age that is not of you. I don't know how dull I am. God, help. And he says, this is how I he I'm helping you. Give yourself. It's simple. One of the reasons that God set up fasting to be our way forward is because anyone can do it. Anyone in any generation of any social status of, you know, name it, male, female, king to the poorest, anyone can do it. Anyone cannot eat. God said, that's brilliant. That's their way in. So he set it up like that because he so wanted it everyone to be able to embrace it. We are so prone to filling our thirst, our ache, with a thousand other stimulants than God. And again, the, the fasted lifestyle unmasks the true state of our spiritual reality. It's scary when God begins to show us what's really on the inside. I remember when I was Again, I was 20 years old, and I remember hearing a message similar to what you heard um, from Mike on Matthew 25 about the ten virgins, wise and foolish. And in my inner man, there was this, there was this turmoil as I was meditating over this truth. And as, as a pastor's kid, 
as someone that had known Jesus my whole life, I was about to ask scary questions that I'd never asked before. And I remember one day having the nerve, getting up the nerve to say to God, oh God, concerning this, this parable, this picture that you've given about, about those that would seek you at the end of the age, oh God, I said to him, what is my reality in you? And I was so scared because I didn't know what he'd say. I wanted to know what crossed over from this life, what before the throne of God, before the eyes of fire, what was real, what remained, what was actually living. On the inside of my inner man, oh Jesus, is there anything, is there any reality in you? And I remember hearing his voice saying, when I said, what is my reality in you? He said, not much. And that came to my heart like an arrow. It wasn't, it wasn't a rebuke, it was tender. The Holy Spirit can bring harsh words very tenderly. I remember hearing that, not much. And again, it set me on a course because I determined from that day forward, I would give my life to having a stored up supply of oil of reality, and that on that day when I met him face to face, there would be a testimony of a history in him. And that's, that's what we must do. I want to take us through some of the practicals of embracing the fasted lifestyle. Number one, we need a willful determination we must determine we're going to give God everything. This includes re-signing up every few days. This was the big surprise factor for me. My resolve today doesn't hardly last till Tuesday. I, you know, you can have so much resolve right now because you're at the One Thing Conference and you're feeling it and you're together with your friends and a few days from now, you're just trying to stir it up. You're trying to remember, what was it that I felt so much? Our resolve wanes. It, it's, it's not something that, that is there for us day in and day out. It's something we have to re-sign up for. Every few days, we have to say, oh God, I resolve to give myself to the lifestyle that you prescribed in prayer, in fasting, in giving. Oh God, I give myself again to the long hours, even the times that I feel nothing and I'm dangling in between both worlds. Oh God, I sign up again. Number two, living the gospel wholeheartedly. We'll only pray as well as we live in all categories of life. We have to give God everything. That's not a new concept. But boy, does it cut deep when we're really doing it. When we're walking throughout our day and we're saying, oh God, everything. You know, every, every finance that I have, every moment that I have, every word that I speak, I am not my own. I really do belong to you. 98% obedience doesn't take us to the rewards that have been promised in God's word. There is a way of living 
that's beautiful, it's fascinating, it's exhilarating. And it's in that last 2% as we give him everything and there's nothing we hold back. There's no withholding. That's where the greatest joy, that joy unspeakable is found. So it's in being wholehearted, living the gospel wholeheartedly. Number three, having an undivided heart. Our heart has to be singly focused on the Lord. We have to burn the bridge. We have to go all the way. We can't have part of our heart in one place, you know, and then giving God only partial. We have to give Him everything. Number four, good time management. We, in fasting and prayer, it boils down to your real schedule. Pick a day, start fasting. The best thing to do is just start. Pick a day. Pick two days. Go for it. We fast together as a family at IHOP on Tuesdays. Join us. Watch on the web stream with us. Pray with us before, you know, catch the 6 a.m. prayer meeting before you go to work or whatever. But pick a day and actually do it. Do it on your schedule. Praying. We have to have, how many of us know, we have to have it in our schedule or it won't happen. We have to set it in our lives. It, it has to be, you know, a part of our daily, weekly schedule to go meet God or there will be the thousand things that seem legitimate that keep us from it. And before we know it, we'll have a memory of pursuing God and we'll think that's the real thing when actually we've lost our way a long time ago. It has to be in our schedule and we have to relook at our schedule on a consistent basis or we'll lose our way. Number five, understanding the nobility of seeming barren, empty, dry prayer. How many of you can identify with that? Prayer can be so dry and so empty and feel so barren that there's a constant accusation. I must be doing it wrong. You know, everyone else knows how to do this thing and I don't because God seems to be showing himself to all my friends, but not me. Oh God, this is just plain hard. I must be doing it wrong. And so often we leave that place of prayer. We leave that place of, of positioning our hearts before him and receiving his love and giving him our love. We leave it because it's dry. And we, we think that dryness equals something that is worthless, and to God it is precious. He says, no, 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 this is how it works a lot of the time. I ask only that you bring your cold heart before the fire of my love again and again and again. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. There will be days, and you cannot determine when you feel me, when your emotions actually move, but it counts forever and forever, and all you have to do is bring your cold heart before me day in and day out. I remember feeling in my own life as I set myself in that resolve to give myself to prayer and fasting, I remember one day specifically, and I was fasting, and I was miserable, and I wanted to break that fast in every way, and I was just about to. 
and everything seemed to be telling me that would be the smartest thing to do. And I'd been giving myself, I'd, I was working a part-time job, and the rest of my time I was seeking to give to prayer. And prayer was nothing but hard. I mean, every part of it was hard. There was no movement. There was no experience. There was no feeling of God. The word was dry. There was, there was nothing that I could say, oh, this is why I'm doing it. Everything seemed worthless. And I remember saying a very sincere prayer, oh, God, I am wasting away here. This, this is the most ridiculous thing. Surely this cannot be my way forward. You know, my friends that had known me in year past, years past were calling me saying, are you okay? You know, like, there's really better things to do. We're concerned about you. And that, you're, you're really going to touch that as you give yourself to a fasted lifestyle. It goes against the grain of everything in our society, our culture, even our Christian culture. Because if you're doing it, there is this, you know, under the surface feeling from those around you that that means you think I should be doing it. So therefore you think I'm not loving God, you know, and that is, there's that thing in the human heart that comes up. You don't have to say anything, it'll happen. And I was in that way and I was saying, oh God, this is terrible. God, this certainly can't be what you want me to do. I, I'm feeling nothing. This is barren. This is blah. Where are you? Your word's not moving. And something the Lord did in that season that was so precious, it's been something that I've drawn from in all the years since, is he began to convince me that it mattered. I remember going to bed at the end of some of those days I mean, there was nothing to show for my day. And I was just glad to go to bed. It was like, victory, I get to go to bed, it's over. But I remember saying with that slightest mustard seed faith, saying to the Lord at the end of some of those days, looking up to him, believing he was hearing and taking in everything that had transpired throughout the day, I remember saying, write it down write it down because I believe there's a very real book. Oh, I'm reaching to believe. Oh, God, everything would tell me that it's, it's, it's so pointless. But God, I believe there's a real book that one day you will open and page by page you will say, do you remember this when you gave yourself to me? Do you remember that prayer? Do you remember those tears? Here's the bottle. I stored them all. Here's the book, it's all written, it's all recorded. My Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Here's my reward, I will remember for all the eternal ages, every prayer, every tear. The Lord began to convince me it matters. That is something so significant to a life of prayer and a life of fasting. We have to know that there is the weak and dry dimensions all along the way. We can't determine when we're going to feel God, when we're going to feel the superior pleasure, when the word is going to come to life. It will. We have that promise. We will have those experiences, but we will also have many dry times. And in those times, we rest. We ask him, 
write it down. Remember, oh God, let this be an I love you from my heart to yours. God, receive something that I can't even feel. Receive love from my heart, even when I don't even feel it. Call this love, and he does. He says, that is loving me. Number six, when you come up short, reconnect with his tenderness. You're going to miss it. You're going to break your fast. Of course you are. (laughs) You're going to break your fast. You're going to skip your prayer time. You know, you're, you're going to mess up. When you do, remember, you weren't doing it to earn his favor. Therefore, if you mess up, you don't lose his favor. Run straight into his arms. It's, it's, a, it's a fast before a bridegroom God. Jesus said, let me tell you what my friends will do when I'm no longer walking on the earth. The friends of the bridegroom will fast. The friends of the bridegroom will give themselves to lives of prayer and fasting out of desire. When you miss it, reconnect with his desire. Oh God, you love me. You desire me. Oh, Jesus, I run right into your arms and I receive your embrace. Jesus, it was never about me earning your favor. Oh, I receive your love in my weakness. Embrace me in my place of weakness. And as you, as you allow him to embrace you, even in that weakness, you will again find that resolve, that enabling power, that strength to continue to give yourself in abandonment to him. And the last point is really do it really fast. Yes, it's about food. (laughs) Really fast. If you're going to fast on Tuesdays, fast on Tuesdays. Just do it. And it's not just about not eating. Don't just fast, but give yourselves to God. Set up certain specific times in your day when you're just going to go be with him when you're going to receive his love and give your love back to him, when you're going to meditate on his word and take it to him in prayer and dialogue with him over it, really do it. It's so important because, we, again, we can easily develop that, that false memory, a memory of doing it when in truth we're not actually doing it anymore. That's another thing that I, I've, in my own life, I'm just asking the Lord, oh God, help me, because I want it to be real today. Don't let it be part of my yesterday. Let it be a living reality. I want to exhort you, many of you are in your 20s. Just as I close here, you are in such a key season. I kind of picture it like this. I don't know if this is true because I'm not old enough to know. But I picture it like this. In your 20s, when you say yes to God, you're digging a well. You're digging a well. It's hard. It's uphill a lot of the time. There's not a lot of flow of water. It's mostly work for a good while. But you're digging a well. And as the decades pass, that well becomes your most precious possession you draw from the rest of your days. Not to say you live off yesterday's water. It's that for the rest of your days, you're seeing that that water is fresh, 
but the well was dug in a very set-apart season. So often that's how the Lord does it. He has a season in your life that's set apart where you go dig a well, and it's hard. It's mostly hard, but you reap the benefits for the rest of your days. You know, now I'm a mom of a two-year-old and a 10-week-old. My life is so different than some of the stories I've just told you. I, I could spend, you know, from 8 in the morning till 8 at night just there before God. And, and like I said, it was mostly hard, but a well was dug. And right now when I go to Jesus to keep that water fresh, I have a history to draw out of. I know the man. Oh, Jesus. I don't have 12 hours, but oh, God, receive this one. And I, and I have a history to draw out of as I'm busy throughout my day. I can actually know how to commune with him because I've known him in, the, in, the, in that set-apart season. So I just want to encourage you. You know, if, you're, if you find yourself in that window, embrace it. Know that there's difficulty, but embrace it. Set your heart in resolve to give yourself holy, and for the rest of your days, you will reap fruit from that resolve. Let's all stand together.